welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom, a teacher, a writer and blogger, a TV guest. I try to keep busy and now I've added podcaster to my resume as well. And I appreciate you being here to listen. On today's show, I'm going to share a couple of my favorite things, um, an excellent novel that I recently read, as well as a tip for subscription boxes. I'm going to, in the lifestyle segment, talk a little bit about school day breakfasts and lunches, just some things that have worked for me at home. And my special guest today is Lisa Orr of Orr Etiquette, and she's going to answer all your questions. I put a call out on social media for everyone's etiquette questions, and they're amazing. She's got lots to say, so hang in there for that. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by One A Day Women's Gummies, a multivitamin formulated to help support good health, including your immune function, bone and teeth development, and more, all in a tasty fruit-flavored gummy. Always read and follow the label. So my first favorite thing this time around is a book called The Home for Unwanted Girls by Joanna Goodman. It takes place in 1950s Quebec. It was a heightened period of French versus English. And it's about a young girl who becomes pregnant and is forced to give up her child for adoption. And the book continues on with both sides of the story, the the mother who had to give her child up as well as the child who was given up. And incredible history lessons in this book. For example, I had no idea that at that point in Quebec, orphanages were designated as mental institutions in order to get more government funding, which was a, a wild story when you read it. But excellent book, The Home for Unwanted Girls by Joanna Goodman. I would definitely recommend it. My second favorite thing is I'm just getting into subscription boxes. And the tip that I have for you is if you're interested in subscription boxes, but you're not really sure, maybe it's a little bit of a financial commitment for you, consider sharing it with a friend. So my kindergarten partner, I'm the teacher in the classroom, and Sarah is the ECE, and we decided to order a FabFitFun together. So I am going to be upfront and say that I'm an affiliate for them now. So if you do happen to order through the uh, the link on the show notes, I do get a little bit of a reward for that. But it's so fun to do it together because some things come online and we get to choose what we want in the next box. And so it's something we can do as friends. And then when the box arrives, the unboxing part is fun to do with a friend too. And really there are always things that you might not need or the other person might not need and so much stuff. So it's nice to be able to share it, but it's also just a fun occasion for us each season when the new box comes in. So something to think about. With FabFitFun specifically, I'm definitely enjoying it. I'm not sure that we'd renew again just because as I said, or as you may know, if you've been listening or reading along with me for any time, I don't like a lot of stuff. So really, even in terms of beauty products and all those sorts of things, I kind of like to buy what I want as opposed to getting a box of things that maybe I don't need, but I've definitely been able to, you know, donate things and give gifts and stuff like that so that nothing goes to waste. So still, still deciding. One thing that was neat that I did get in one box was a beauty blender. I had an amazing teacher candidate last year named Haley and as fantastic as she was in the classroom she's also very excellent with makeup and I was asking her for tips and she said to get a beauty blender and one of the boxes actually had one of those in there for for doing my foundation so I will get around to trying that and also you can get discounts and other things so you may know Angela Price she's married to Montreal Canadian schoolie Carrie Price she has her own lifestyle blog as well and I watched a neat curling of the hair tutorial that she did, and she uses the Numi wand. And so it's over 100 bucks usually, but um, as a special feature one time with FabFitFun, I bought it for 20 bucks. So it's good when you do have deals like that when there's something in particular that you actually want. Now, I'm going to tell you I haven't used it yet, and don't laugh at me. 
but it's because I'm afraid of burning myself on the wand. I still use a curling iron that has a clamp on it. And I know there's a glove, but I feel like when you try to use the glove, you don't have quite as much control over what you're doing. So I will get around to trying that too. Um, and you know, you get great products. Like there's always at least a couple hundred dollars or $300 worth of products in the box. But for example, I got a really great um, exfoliating scrub, Kate Somerville. Loved it, but I would never go out and pay $100 for an exfoliating scrub. So it's neat to get those things and try them out but I haven't quite decided whether we'll continue it or not, but definitely something fun that you can do. Uh, another subscription box that I think looks really neat is the Sweet Reads box, um, where you get a book each month, but also some items that go along with the book, like maybe a treat or a drink, and then maybe some other kind of little items to uh, to complement the theme of the novel. So check that one out. And I'm also very interested in Frock Box, another Canadian subscription one where you get sent clothing each month and you can keep what you want and pay for it but send back what you don't so you kind of have a stylist working with you and I think that uh, that would be neat so if you've ever tried frock box definitely reach out because I'd love to know what you thought of that you can find me on twitter and facebook at this mom loves on instagram at kate this mom loves and website is www.thismomloves.ca and if you go to the podcasts page this these are the show notes for episode five and I'll have links to uh, everything that we're talking about. But I also love if people just send me a tweet or message me on Facebook and say, I was just listening to your episode. Honestly, those things mean so much to me. So thanks to the people who do that. In the lifestyle section today, school day breakfast and lunches. So one fun little thing that I did with my girls is we designated what each day's lunch was going to be, or sorry, each day's breakfast was going to be so that there wasn't the whole waking up in the morning. What's for breakfast today on school mornings when it's so busy? So here's what we have. Muffin Monday, Toast Tuesday, Waffle Wednesday, and that's where the cute alliteration ends because then we go to Cereal Thursday and then back to muffins on Friday. We love our muffins. We're carb people, as you can tell. But all of those are things that the girls can make by themselves, that they can get ready. We've been doing this for years. I mean, sometimes it, it works and sometimes we go off script, but it's kind of neat to just have that plan. And then there's no worrying about what you're supposed to have. And if the kids get up and can get something ready, they can just go ahead. And even for grocery shopping and everything, you know what you're doing. So having a little uh, breakfast schedule, I found was really helpful in the mornings as a time saver and an argument saver. And just keep all of the things that you need to make those within reach so that kids are able to access them themselves. The next thing I want to talk about is school lunches. So if you are the type of parent who loves to chop everything up and arrange it and cut things out and make a lovely, beautiful lunch, and do it nice and fresh in the mornings for your child, that's great. That's wonderful. More power to you. But the next part of my uh, segment is not for you. I want to talk to all those people who are always on social media saying, oh, this many days left until we don't have to make lunches or in the summer, this many days until we start making lunches again. How many more lunches till Christmas? All that stuff. If you hate making lunches for your kids, here's my tip. Stop doing it. So again, some of you will say, well, no, no, I want to. Well, that's fine. If you want to, I don't want to. And I haven't wanted to for years. So when Olivia started kindergarten for those two years, I made her lunch like I thought a good mother was supposed to do. Then she went into grade one, Eva started school, they were both going every day, and I thought, you know what, forget this. And I taught them how to make their own lunches. So we have a plan that they have to have a meal part of their lunch, they have to bring a dairy, they have to bring a fruit, and then some kind of carby snack if they want, which of course they do. And again, everything within reach. So when Eva was in JK, I'm not joking, she was making her lunch. So what the girls often did was take sandwiches on a bun, so I'd slice the buns, that's fine. 
but they'd put on their butter and their meat and their cheese, whatever they wanted to do. They'd pack all their other things up. And I know some parents say, well, my child will only take an apple if it's sliced and I don't want my young child slicing apples. Well, maybe their fruit for school could be grapes or could be a banana or something instead and save the apples for home and make it something that they can actually do. Again, keep everything accessible, make sure they know exactly what they're doing. So even still, Olivia is now in grade seven, Eva's in grade five. I could count on one hand the times I've made their lunches for them. So it's never something I have to worry about, which is amazing. And I just find it helps their independence. They make sure to take things that they're going to like and that they want to eat so that they can't complain about it. And I know as a kindergarten teacher, I see a huge range. And I swear I'm serious when I say I am not judging anything I see in lunchboxes. But just because of allergies in the class and making sure everybody brought their lunch and that sort of thing, I do a quick scan to see what people have. And there's a huge range of things. And... You know, I just don't want parents to feel like they have any pressure to do these Pinterest perfect lunches for their kids if they don't want to. If that is a way that you enjoy showing your love for your child, then go for it. But if it's something that you absolutely dread, I would say cut that off the list and get your child to start making their own lunches. Just my advice for people who uh, for people who dread doing that. Now it's time for a quick word from our sponsor, One A Day Women's Gummies. I can honestly say that I take one a day every day. And while I still try to get in some fruits and veggies, this multivitamin gives me some peace of mind. It has ingredients to help maintain immune and muscle function, eyesight, and metabolism support. The chewable gummy format is particularly great if you have difficulty swallowing vitamins and comes in tasty mixed fruit flavors. You can buy one-a-day women's gummies wherever vitamins are sold. Always use as directed. I am so excited to introduce my special guest today, etiquette expert, Lisa Orr. She is the founder of Orr Etiquette and also a mom, and she's my fellow guest expert on the social. She has a very regular gig appearing to uh, to talk about etiquette there. And we actually found each other online a while back. We've become virtual friends and had the chance to meet in real life for the first time in June, and she's just as lovely in person. So happy to have her here to share her expertise today. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to chat with you today. Well, etiquette seems to be a big question, and I put it out on social media saying I was going to interview you, and I got a whole bunch of questions back, and there seems to be one huge theme that's coming up, which is tipping. So I want to jump right in asking you, what is the appropriate amount to tip? So the big categories that kind of came up were servers and restaurants, people who provide beauty services and delivery people, so those sort of categories. What should we be tipping these days? And it's funny funny you should mention, tipping is definitely the most emotional topic that I've ever seen on, uh, on social media. It's the, it's the one that people get really emotional about. Uh, they have very mm-hmm. strong feelings. Uh, so I will uh, put the caveat out there that, you know, this is, this is uh, guidance. Um, but you know, that in, in the end, every person has to manage their own budget. There may be unique situations to your community, um, which may mean that you go higher or go lower. Um, so again, this is guidance, uh, you know, that's in all areas of etiquette, it's definitely, um, you know, these are kind of best practices, uh, and people can choose to, or to, or to not follow them. Um, but so definitely in the, there's, but there are some good ranges to consider. And the reason I like to have them is it helps me feel confident that I am leaving people what they expect to be left so that the service providers are feel appreciated. Um, because in every context, in, you know, in Canada, there's one set of rules. If we were in a different country, there would be a different set of rules. And we do have some norms in Canada. Uh, so what is, so um, kind of per category. So historically, tipping in restaurants used to be around 15%. There was that expression, tip the tax. Right. Uh, but it's moved up. Um, 
it's moved up. So it used to be 15%-ish, and now it's more like 18% um, okay. as, as the standard for good service. Um, the top end for excellent service typically is around 20%, and then 15 is kind of fine service, but nothing to write home about. Um, again, these will may vary regionally, and um, but that's generally the th- and it's funny when you speak to people who have been in the service industry, they're like, yes, absolutely, I totally leave twenty percent every time. Um, so okay. I think it depends on your perspective. Um, yeah. So and then uh, the other then the other kind of categories that um, in salons and service people um, who are delivering beauty services, they tend to be, and it really depends on your uh, salon or your the, where you're having your beauty service more in the uh, kind of 5, 10 to 15% category. Uh, and I say that, that it's really, it's hard to kind of narrow down too specifically because often these people that provide these services, we often tip at the holidays too with a special gift. So that may modify a little bit the amount that you tip throughout the year if you know that at the end of the year you're going to leave them something special. Good point. Okay. Uh, and then the other person, the group of people that comes up um, that that we that I didn't include uh, were delivery people, um, and I'm finding this is becoming a bigger one now that there are, um, you know, there's service like food delivery services um, because often there's a delivery charge included, but then there is still a person who comes to your door and who drops off your food, um, and so I do like to tip them. I mean, it's not mandatory, but I always think a few dollars for the person who's who's driving the car is, you know, especially as Canadian winter starts to hit, I really appreciate them <laughs> driving through a blizzard to bring me things. So I, mm-hmm. I always make a point of recognizing them, but it's not at that same ten to fifteen percent um, level that you might see as a as a percentage of the service. It's more kind of rounding up. Okay. All right. And a few kind of specific questions that funnel out with the tipping that came from some followers. If a restaurant is buffet, do you still tip the server the same as you would when it's full service? So um, the the way that I like to think about it is if there's less service, the, the, the tip is really directly correlated with the amount of service you receive. So you might scale back your tip at a buffet but it depends because let's say it's a buffet where you're being well cared for. So let's say you're going back for multiple rounds and your server brings you new plates or keeps bringing you drinks and keeps providing service, even though you are going back and forth to get your own plate, then, then you, then you might still leave your serve your tip at that same rate. If you're still deli- being experiencing service, if you're, um, if it's really self-serve, it's that, you know, you took, you know, they, you, they brought you in, you took your seat and you do all the work, then then I think you can consider a much lower tip. So more in that 10% category rather than that kind of restaurant service category in that 15, 15, 18, 20 range. Right. So you're saying when I take my children to the Mandarin and they go up for the desserts 10 times and the server clears every single plate away each time, I should probably stick with the standard tip. <laughs> I, I think so. And I always think it's like if I was... Um, the way that I, the way I sort of know if I'm on the right track is if someone was to write an article about what I tipped that day, if someone was to be following me, if there's a secret camera, would I feel good about what I left behind? Would I be able to justify it? Um, which is a little paranoid to be honest. Um, but that's how I think about it. Cause then I know if I'm proud of what I did and I could justify it in a way, or if I could justify it to the person who, if I had to chat with them later about it, um, then I know I'm on the right track. If I feel badly about it, then I know I've under tipped. Well, and you must have to think about these things, I mean, as an etiquette expert, but especially one who appears publicly as well, do you feel a little bit more pressure that somebody might be watching your etiquette? 
that's a, that's a good question. I do. I feel um, I feel an additional obligation to kind of live my values. So right. um, I, I feel like it's important to set a good example and to um, be care- and also to be mindful of of you know you know if, if to practice what I preach. Um, and also to kind of call myself out when I don't. Uh, so giving the example around delivery drivers, remember the first dri- delivery driver I had, I delivery fee was included and I didn't think about it. And then afterwards I went, holy Hannah, that's, you know, that person did provide a service and, and I think they, I, I should give them a tip. And so, you know, so it, it's, it, it actually makes me more accountable because I have to, because I have to kind of live my values, which is, which I actually think is a great thing. So it's, it's, there's it's a double-edged sword, but I, but because I believe in it, it makes it a lot easier. Well, that's great. Um, I had one follower ask, what if a caterer delivers but doesn't set up or serve? So we're just kind of talking about that delivery situation again. So does that kind of just go with what you already said, like just tip a little something on top? Yeah, I, that's that's the way I would go with it. Because typically when they do that, in my experience, there's a delivery fee. There's a specific, and it's usually a little bit larger if it's some kind of catering order. Um, and I said, I just mm-hmm. like to, I, I just like to recognize the driver because, you know, if you're, I, I think about uh, uh, me driving around and I've got hot food and I've got to get things places. It's nice to be appreciated. So absolutely just so that little something extra to make them feel appreciated. And especially if you use that caterer multiple times, uh, odds are that if, you know, if it's a smaller caterer, they may use the same driver. Odds are that your meal the next time is going to arrive in better condition and <laughs> on time and warm if you've looked after your driver. So true. Good point. Do you still tip if the business owner provides the service? And I think this is a case in a lot of uh, beauty situations. What do you think about that one? Yes. And this one is really controversial. I was very surprised about how controversial this one um, uh, has been over the years. Uh, my my take is that if someone's delivered a service, regardless of whether or not they have an equity stake in the business, they still deserve to be recognized. Um, and I feel like it's harsh to, to not, um, to, to not sort of appreciate their service because they are doing that work. So, I mean, there are some people who disagree and say, oh, well, they're taking a share in the profits, but they're being, I mean, the, the work that they do there, they, they get paid for that. So if they're managing a business, that's kind of like, it's almost as though they have two jobs, right? There's that one job that they have in managing the business and they get paid out of that. But then when they actually do the service, that's a whole other job. So that's why I like to, even if they're a business owner, still tip them for the service that they've delivered. Okay. And I just wanted to throw in there that I actually recently learned something new that nurses or medical professionals can't accept tips. And I found this out because I'm getting my microneedling facials at a medical spa and it's a nurse who's doing them. So after the first one, it was kind of an awkward moment of me saying, oh, here's something. And she said, oh, no, no, actually, I can't accept that. And I also go to a chiropodist office for Medipedis where I get foot care, but then there's an assistant who does the polish. And same thing. I said, oh, are you supposed to tip at this place? I asked the, uh, the secretary and she said, oh, no, 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 no tips here. It's a doctor's office. So that's kind of just an interesting note. If you're in any case of a medical person providing any service, they cannot accept tips. And I love that one too, because it can often, um, with different, uh, like massage therapists, like if it's a therapist, like some often we, sometimes we think of them as like a beauty service, but if they're a med, it's, it's a good one. But what I love about what you did is it, um, when in doubt, ask, like if you're not mm-hmm. sure, ask. Um, and it'll actually serve you well if you're going other places, like if you're traveling in different regions in Canada, or if you're traveling around the globe, because there's, there's rules that we read in books. And then there are also the rules that are local. 
And so it's always awesome to double check and just make sure. And then everyone feels good about it. There's no, mm-hmm. um, there's no kind of awkward moment where, where you've had a misunderstanding you've, and you've clarified. So I thought that that's so great. Yes. Always best to ask. Um, this next yes. question, I kind of put it under tipping because it sort of reminds me of the buffet question where the service isn't quite full service. So someone want, wanted to know if you go to a potluck, so you're contributing, everybody's contributing to the meal. Do you bring a hostess gift the same as you would if the host and hostess or whoever it is was yes. providing everything for you? So uh, I, I believe that it's still, it's still the appropriate thing to do to bring a hostess gift. Um, mm-hmm. I think anyone who's hosted a potluck before I've, I've hosted, several, I mean, I'm sure you've hosted potlucks before. It's a ton of work. Mm-hmm. Even if you aren't making all of the food, you have to clean your house before and you have to set the table before and you have to get all the dishes and you probably have to make one dish too. And then when they arrive, people need service platters and all kinds of things. And then they forget dishes afterwards. Like there's so much that goes into hosting a potluck. It's not just, so I always think, um, the, the reason that you're providing a hostess gift is to say, thank you for hosting. So, I mean, you might, if you are bringing something, you might scale it back a smidge, but I still think, um, you know, I, th- I mean, they, they're, they've got dishes, they've got every, I mean, unless you're really, you know, contributing, every, you know, in, in a sort of a holistic way across the board, then I think recognizing them as a host is a really nice thing. And it also, um, it's also, there, there's a much better chance they'll host again, which is a nice thing <laughs> to do. If you recognize them, if you treat people badly when they host odds of them ever putting their hand up again are around about zero. So I think, you know, there's, there's the nice thing to do. And there's also kind of the self-interest part, which is, you know, it's, it's nice that it could happen again. Right. For sure. Okay. So moving on to some more kind of general etiquette questions. The first one does connect to meals though. Um, one of my followers wanted to know if you are asked somewhere for a meal, it is, is it appropriate to ask what is being served? So sometimes, uh, so let's say you have a situation where you have, um, uh, food restrictions either because of food allergies or like pretty severe intolerances or, um, or for religious reasons, then it's totally appropriate to ask. You're actually doing your you're doing the appropriate thing because your host needs to know that you have those restrictions in place. I mean, even if mm-hmm. it's like a, I mean, and it can go as as broad as let's say there's a certain type of food that you you really can't tolerate. It's not an allergy, but you know you just can't eat something, um, you know, whatever kind of thing that is. Uh, then it's and it's helpful to to check in with your host so they can make alternate arrangements for you. But otherwise, mm-hmm. unless there's something that's that you like that as a guest you you know need to do to let them know about in order for them to feel comfortable, then it's really best just to kind of enjoy and attend. You can always ask about dress code, and um, and that might give you a hint as to what you're having to eat. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise you kind of attend and gracefully, and that's and that's really what you're up for. Okay. A table manners question. And this one actually came up. It's kind of funny because when I first met you, Melissa Leong, who's the financial expert on the social, had invited a whole bunch of us who make appearances to get together. We had a lovely lunch. And I ordered the breakfast for lunch and I was sitting right across from you. And you certainly don't give off anything that would make people feel uncomfortable. But me thinking to myself that you're an etiquette expert, I got to the part of the meal where I would usually mop up egg yolk with my toast. And I thought, oh, I would do this if I was sitting here just with my husband or my kids, like at a diner or something. But is that something I can do, you know, in, in, in public or not? So I'm curious about that. Or, you know, when you've got gravy, can you, you know, mop up gravy with your bread, that sort of thing? Or is that kind of a tacky mealtime thing? to do 
Yeah. So this one is, is another one that it depends. Um, so, and I always like to say that there are kind of rules at a family table and then rules at an event, mm-hmm. right? There are like, there's, I mean, there's, um, there's some flexibility when it's a family table where it's, or I mean, or friend table, but I use that expression like that kind of more casual family table, um, where you can still have like, very strong table manners, but you may loosen them up around the edges. So in those cases, you know, if you've got a great bowl of soup and a crusty bread that you might, or, you know, mussels or something delicious that you might, um, you know, that you might take advantage of your bread to grab those little extra pieces. But formal events, typically, if there is the kind of the rule of thumb is if there's a bread plate, then the bread is supposed to stay there. Um, mm. And that it's not like it, that's, that's where it lives. That's its little home. That little piece of bread lives on that plate. Um, but, uh, interesting fact is it's not the same everywhere. So for example, if we were in France, your bread, there isn't, your bread goes on the table and you would definitely, um, uh, it, you would definitely use your baguette to um, mop up little pieces, um, like a great beef bourguignon, like it would be part mm-hmm. of your experience. So I think, um, you know, t- typically, as I said, if you see the little bread plate, that's sort of your sign. Okay. It's, I probably got to keep it there um in a formal setting but uh but it's it's really neat to know that in different cultural contexts um for example you know if if you had a great piece of naan bread it would be it would be awful not to use that bread to get all the little pieces of curry so Mm. it it really depends on what kind of food you're having um and when in doubt my go-to that i've used in a million situations especially in different global situations is look to your host um and they're and and they set the standards so if you're not quite sure you can follow their lead and, and, and that will let you know what the standard is for that meal. Okay. Someone is wondering about hats. Um, guys, especially wearing a lot of ball caps when you're out and about going to restaurants or going to a friend's house for dinner, that sort of thing. Should caps be worn in restaurants or when sitting down to eat? Or is it kind of an old fashioned thing that, you know, that they should be told to remove them or asked to remove them? So, I mean, this, this one, again, is controversial is have, have our standards evolved that we don't need to take our hats off. The reason I, um, I think it's preferred to take your hat off at a table, especially indoors, is that typically the kind of hat we're talking about is a ball cap. And if you and I were having a conversation indoors and you're wearing a ball cap, uh, it really inhibits our ability to make eye contact and to have a conversation. And it really sends me the message that you don't want to talk to me. Uh, really. I mean, it's one thing to have a ball cap on outside because it keeps the sun off your eyes and right. it protects you and, it, and that's its purpose. But once you're um, indoors, then I think the rules change. But for example, if you were sitting at a table on a patio, I'm, I wouldn't ask you to take your hat off because you've got your hat on to keep your, you know, to keep, to keep your eyes safe from the sun. So I think mm-hmm. you kind of have to use a little bit of judgment and, and it would be the same rule for men or for women. Um, ball cap, like it's not a, it's not a gender thing. Uh, it's just more about when you've got those ball caps on, it makes it really hard to connect. And that's really why we're sitting down to eat together. So, um, that's why I think about it. it's not so much about being kind of posh. It's about, um, you know, making sure that we haven't created any barriers between you know, the real purpose of why we're sitting down together. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. Next question, again, sort of with signs of the times, should men still hold the door for women? Is it offensive or is it a chivalrous thing that, that should still be done? I love this question uh, so much. Uh, so men should hold doors for women. Men should hold doors for men. Women should hold doors for men. Everyone should hold doors for everyone. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, everyone. So, um, so men should not, uh, it's, it's that, um, people should look after people. So, um, 
I think we have to, as a society, if, as we demand equality for between all genders, we have to kind of, I think, as women and men, we have to allow some of these kind of gender-based um, traditions to go by the wayside if we want to kind of move, really move forward. And some of these habits of like, only, it's only being a man's, man's job to hold, um, to hold a door or um, often sort of let women on an elevator first or, are are pretty antiquated. And so um, you'll see it with older, the older generation. And I, I mean, I definitely grew up in that world um, where, you know, it was appropriate for a man to hold the door. But I think for us, to, for everyone to move forward, we have to change the expectation. So for women not to feel upset that a man didn't hold a door, but instead to offer to hold it for him. So I think that's kind of, um, I mean, everyone has to get on board. Um, and the thing to be mindful of is um, if you're a gentleman and you're in kind of an older demographic, you may want to consider holding doors only because that may make people more socially comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of, it's, it's almost like entering a different um, different culture, if that makes any sense. It's like mm-hmm. you're in a little different country. Um, so I think that's how I think about it because it's, it really is different from, I mean, there, there's, there are pe- people that you'll encounter that would say, oh, you absolutely have to, and it's very rude not to. Um, but I think our standards are really evolving away from that. But so as long as you're mindful that, you know, that you may have a great, great aunt who you should still hold the door for. So because that to her means respect. Um, But otherwise, I mean, with my children, for example, and with the young people I work with, absolutely we talk about we all hold doors for each other. And to the young women, I say, don't expect men to hold doors for you. And and men don't expect to have to hold the doors. Expect that we that we're all polite and we move through spaces together politely, regardless of gender. I love that. Great. So another topic that comes along with changing times is that we now need etiquette for internet. And one question that came in was, is it necessary to ask before posting a photo of someone? So, I mean, if you're with a group or their pictures being taken, you want to put it on your Instagram. Do you need to get other people's approval? Like, I mean, obviously as a teacher, when I'm at school, I'm not posting pictures of other people's children or anything, but if we're talking about adults and friends and those sorts of social situations, should you be giving your friends photo approval before you post something? What do you see as the etiquette around that? So my preference, I mean, I, I mean, I think the reality is in this day and age, we all know that if you pose for a photo or if someone takes a photo, photo there is a super high risk that it's going to end up on the internet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of, we, we know that, but I, I do think that the polite thing to do is to, if you're about to take a group photo, say, Hey, does anyone mind if I put this on my Facebook? And that's, right. and that's a quick way to check before you take the photo even. Cause then people might say, you know what, I, I, I actually am really private, so I'm not going to be in this photo. Right. So they might just quickly opt out. And then that takes away the discomfort for people. Um, okay. and I think that's a nice, uh, it's a nice way to do it like, as you're taking the photo, because it's tough to do once you've taken the photo to have to go back and kind of email everyone and say, Hey, so I'm about to post mm-hmm. this photo on Facebook and it just isn't realistic. Um, but it's a nice thing to do to check in. I mean, most people have their privacy settings such that um, you can't tag them in the photo, but their image is, unless they've, unless you've given them permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, is it, to me, it's just a small nicety if you just say, hey, I might. Um, I mean, there's people I know who, um, I, I know them and I know how they operate with cameras. And so anything they take a picture of is going to end up on the internet, everything. I don't care <laughs> if it's like a chair, it's a tree, you name it, whatever they photograph. But so... We do know that about people, but I think, as I said, my preference is, it's just a quick heads up. And I, I love, you know, there may be some reason why someone doesn't want to be in a photo and, and far be it for me to make them do that. So, yeah. Okay. 
Email is another um, issue where a lot of etiquette questions come up. So what is the etiquette around when to use CC and when to use BC? Because I know sometimes people get sick of, you know, being CC'd and there's this whole train going, but then people don't want to leave other people out. And then also the BC, does it look kind of sneaky when you BC someone or when do you need to alert somebody to something sort of confidentially? What do you think about all that? Um, it's it's a tough space. And I, I feel like um, the challenge is email kind of happened without us having it's a really important form of correspondence and it emerged without a, we don't have a, um, when we learned how to use email, it didn't come with a set of rules. Um, it was just, we just use it all the time. And so that's, I think that's why there's so many frustrations. Um, because I said, we've all been on that email chain. We're like, Oh my gosh, can you please stop replying? Please stop replying all. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, you know, it ends up going on forever. Um, mm-hmm. but so, so CCs, so typically a CC means, um, if I CC someone, it means this is something you need to know, um, but you don't need to reply. So uh, if it's a two, it means if I'm sending you, if you're in the two line, then this means there's an action item for you. If you're being CC'd, then in theory, it's you're just being, like you think about where it came from, that it was just a copy was going to you. Like, like there, you know, there was someone typing on a typewriter and they would make a carbon copy and give you a copy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I think about using CCs is that it's just an FYI, no need to um, take active action. And if you do reply, typically it would be only to the person who sent the message initially. So that's kind of where the CC world is. Ideally, anyone on that CC list, let's, they, they, there's no expectation of a reply all from that group. Um, okay. BCC is for me is a much rarer situation, uh, that you would need to use. Uh, so BCC is a very much, is, is very much an FYI, but, um, but where you're making it, you're concealing from the person that you're sending it to that this person's been copied. Mm-hmm. So the only time that I, for example, that, that I would use something like this is, um, in correspondence with, um, where I'm, I'm basically passing on a record to, so for example, with my husband, there'll be communication, um, where it's just something that I want him to know about, but the person who I'm emailing doesn't need to know that my husband is, has been included because they assume that he would know anyway, for example. Uh, but it's a really, it's a pretty rare situation where the, so it's because it has to be something where the, you don't want to, you want the person to know, you don't want the person that you're sending it to, to know. Um, and so it, it, it's, they're very unique okay. and you have to be uh, mindful because, um, they can be risky. It's not that I'd prefer not to use them very often myself. Uh, because like my, my preference is actually, if I've sent an email, I'll go back to that email I sent and then forward it to say, this is a copy to keep them out of the loop altogether. So they don't accidentally reply and get themselves into all kinds of confusion. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's the, it's my least used. Absolutely. Okay. So wrapping up the etiquette questions, what is one thing that you think that adults these days should work on? If you could pick one, one etiquette goal, and then what's one thing that you think we should work on with our children when it comes to etiquette? To me, the most important one in terms of empowering children and making them feel confident in their social skills, which is, which is really, and and making other people feel engaged with them is helping them work on their greetings and introductions. Um, it's the one thing that I see all the way through, sort of from young children who are, you know, obviously get a pass because they're learning. Um, but that's often an issue with young adults who are trying to get jobs and get into schools, um, that it's a skill that they're missing because they're so, um, connected to their technology that often that they're, they're not, uh, they don't spend as much time practicing those in-person, 
um, social skills mm-hmm. around etiquette, around how to meet people and say hello and how to have a little conversation. So I think as, as parents and, and, and community members, the thing that we can do for our children to set them up for success is to teach them that etiquette of how we greet other people. So how to shake hands, make eye contact, hold a conversation, how to close a conversation without running away, um, which is, you know, it's, it would say it sounds so sort of small, but it's amazing the difference it makes if it's a skill you learn when you were a young person, then when you move on to university and to the workplace, that it's something you do very naturally and effortlessly versus something that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, and it's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you've met people who are um, just so gracious when they meet you. And it's amazing how it changes the way you build relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things. And I and I think, I mean, I, I say greetings and intro- introductions um, in, in a Canadian context, but I think it's also valuable to give them. So for example, when I teach the topic, I actually teach it in a cross-cultural um, context. So I teach what greetings and interactions look like in different cultures. So where, when do you bow and when do you shake hands and when might you just make eye contact and what, and what cultures can't shake hands. Um, so it gives them a knowledge that there are certain customs in Canada, but also that there's a bigger world out there and Canada is so diverse. You're going to experience that bigger world day to day. So that's the, that would be my, the real advice to parents would be greetings and introductions, but, but think about it on a global level, not just a Canadian context. Well, I love that you brought that up because in our kindergarten class, one of the first things we do when we come in in the morning to the carpet is we're explicitly teaching them that stuff. So we've been doing like, hello, Sally, and looking them in the eye and talking about eye contact being important. And we're working on the, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? I'm always blown away when I pass a kid in the hall and I say, how are you? And they say, oh, fine. Thanks. And they ask back, how are you? Because a lot of kids don't have that confidence or they just haven't been trained that way, but it really does make them stand out, their social skills when they do that. So we're working on that with the little ones too. Amazing. That's so great. So last thing, which can be completely unrelated to the topic of etiquette, I'm wondering if you have any sort of favorite thing or this mom loves, any recommendation for everyone who's listening right now? Uh, so, so I came up with a couple um, that I was thinking about. Um, so and I'm, I'm a category person. So I have, I have three categories. Okay. Um, so, so on beauty products, cause I'm we're, anyway, cause, cause I'm getting older. We all need <laughs> all the help we can get. Um, but I, I share them cause it's one of my favorite drugstore finds. And I, I think it's, I think, you know, life is expensive. It's important to have a drugstore find. Yep. So there's, um, I have this amazing mask I use. It's from a company called Strivectin and it lasts forever and it's called resurface and it's got glycolic acid and literally 20 minutes later you will look five years younger. Oh. So it's my, like, it's amazing. So that's my one secret. That sounds good. Yeah. It's a magic one. Um, and it's, and I don't know why it's not a, anyway, it's a magic product. I love it. And I, it's, especially if you've been traveling and you, you've been on a plane, it's the best way to not look about 110. Um, <laughs> So that's, that's my beauty find. Um, and then my second is, um, uh, is sports. So I'm a big runner and I love to hike, uh, and I run distance. So, and I know you're, I know you, your crew are are around big runners too. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my big thing for runners or for running is to embrace the ugly wool sock. Um, it's the best thing I found for, for, for running for years and years, um, and I use a brand called Darn Tough. And they're not pretty per se. They're very utilitarian, but they last forever. 
and and they and they'll you can run on them forever. So that's those those are my two big. And I had one. I had, I had a book for you. Okay. Um, so my last one is, um, which is a fun one. Um, so I'm sh- sure you're familiar with the author Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love. But she wrote this other book that did. I mean, it's but it's uh, did well. But I don't think it's, it hasn't been as popular. Um, but it's called Big Magic, and it's an like a sort of wacky, awesome book about creativity. And I think in our lives we have so many, um, you know, things. Are, there's a lot of kind of strict focused, uh, you know, there's business books, and it's all very technical. And this is just all about creativity. And I think we can all use a little more creativity in our lives. So um, it's a fun one. And it's, and it's definitely something that expands your brain a little bit. Well, that is awesome. Thank you for those. Thank you for all of your amazing etiquette expertise. I feel like I learned so much from you every time we talk and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. And that concludes episode five of This Mom Loves. All of the information from today's show will be available on the website, thismomloves.ca slash podcasts. And again, this is episode five. I'll have all of Lisa Orr's information, including a link to her Orr Etiquette website, if you're interested in that, and her social media accounts as well. And I want to say a special thank you to my editor, Lucas Wojcicki, who does such a great job editing these podcasts for me. If you are so inclined, I would love for you to subscribe to the show, to rate it or review it wherever you listen. It really helps others to find it. And you might think, oh, you know, what's the big, the big deal if I click on one little rating? But when you do it, somebody else does it, somebody else does it. It really does add up. And uh, it's a big deal for a small podcaster like myself. So thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next week here on This Mom Loves. <laughs>